you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Around the NFL Podcast as proof that Tom Savage is not a hologram. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with some heroes. Chris Wessling to my left, Greg Rosenthal to my right. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Uh, No Mark, still under the weather. Hope to get him back uh, by Thursday's show. But uh, we're getting closer to whole uh, because, yes, Greg has returned from his journey overseas. The face of international travel in the <laughs> NFL media newsroom. Greg Rosenthal, welcome back to the United States. How was your trip? Uh, I want this to be my theme song permanently, <laughs> even if it doesn't make any sense. It was outstanding, Dan. Um, we're going to talk about it a little later, but London could not be uh, a better city. Was it I, I would hospital? happily move there you would move there oh yeah that is that's heavy well i would move a lot of places mark said he would move there too why not it's like you know henry hodgson you know uh nfl uk hank Hank. yep yep yep. i know a lot of a lot of nicknames uh you know he's always been anti-new york which i didn't like because i consider myself even though you know i wasn't born there i love i love new york lived there for 10 years and, but I think I get why he doesn't like New York because London's kind of like a, a cleaner, you know, more well-run version of New York. Okay. Well, it's not New York. Come I'm on. not saying it's better or worse. I love right. New York, but it's a cleaner, very similar okay. version. So Dan I bristled at that. Well, you know, what? I lo- listen, I love England. Never been there, but I love our <laughs> never listeners. Never will. <laughs> I will get there eventually if the shadowy league figures deem that to be something that they would uh, grant to us. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that on that point. Nor should you. Of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know defend no, New York City. Me too. My my favorite city, that New Orleans in the U.S. and everything. But I'm just saying, London's great. It's kind of like a, a, right. a cleaner, you know, nice version of New York. And and a lot of the people in London were asking me, Dan. They were just yes. like, oh yeah, I guess Dan didn't want to come over here. He doesn't leave the country. <laughs> they, well, they know. I listen. I, I everyone knows the story by now. If you listen to the podcast, I I'll, I'll leave the country. I just pick my spots. <laughs> Not there yet, okay? Uh, this is the uh, Tuesday edition of the Around the NFL podcast, sponsored uh, by Mr. Flame's economics class in The Hague, the Netherlands. Very special thank you to Mr. Flame, who uh, provided us with some uh, Danish, some coffee, and some sandwiches, and some bagels with locks. Uh, sent to the office, to our cubicles this morning, which we... Uh, feasted upon during our Tuesday meeting. So that was very nice of Mr. F. That's what a sponsor does. It was delicious. It was incredible. Um, today's, so thank you, Mr. F. Mr. F. Today's show is jam-packed. We're going to talk about the Monday night football matchup between the Broncos and Texans. Uh, going to go through some news, including the retirement of one of the biggest 
uh, stars of the last, I'd say, uh, seven or eight years in the NFL. Uh, we will dig in a little bit more on Greg's trip to London because that's very important uh, to get to some more specifics on what went down during his journey overseas. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline, which I believe is a week from today. Is that correct? That is absolutely 100% correct. November 1st, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So there you go. So we'll talk about what names are in the news uh, right now, and maybe we'll throw out some options. A couple trades in, that we would like to see or could happen in a world in which teams weren't afraid to trade, which is you know part of the problem with the trade deadline uh, in football compared to baseball or perhaps other sports. Uh, teams are not as uh, are a little bit more gun-shy about shipping their players around. Maybe uh, some of the economic factors of the league uh, help to explain that. But anyway... We will throw out some options and have some fun doing it. And then finally, we'll talk the Thursday night game between the Jaguars and the Titans. Uh, good luck with that, uh, CBS and NFL Network. So why don't we start, though? Yes, with the final game. That is Thursday night game is the first game of week eight, which, oh, my God, it's week eight already. But we had the last game of week seven last night. So let's talk about it. Was it the Brock Osweiler revenge game? Was it the John Elway revenge game? We'll never know. But one thing we do know is that it was John Elway with a big old smile on his face uh, at the end of a 27-9 win for the Broncos over the Houston Texans in a game where the score accurately reflected what was going on here. A completely overmatched Osweiler uh, was unable to move the chains and get his team in the end zone. And the Broncos do what the Broncos do which is they're not going to bludgeon you on offense, but they're going to make a couple plays here and there, score one or two touchdowns, and then let the defense take it home. Speaking of touchdowns, here is the one touchdown pass of the day from Trevor Simeon. Simeon looks left, throws the DT. Touchdown, Denver. Demarius Thomas, he beats Kareem Jackson. And a laser from Trevor Simeon on just a simple outcut. Two yards deep in the end zone, and the Broncos have their second touchdown of this first half. And, Wes, that is um, Trevor Simeon throwing the touchdown, 14-25, 157 in a touch. And, yeah, that's not going to blow you away. But then you look on the other side of the ball. Simeon had a running game behind him. Osweiler, 22-41, of 41, 131 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, lost the fumble, averaged 3.2 yards per attempt, Wes. On 41 passes, you're not going to see a day much worse than that. Is That is not totally undermined by turnovers. Osweiler also had a running game behind him. Alfred Blue and Lamar Miller averaged over 5.5 yards That's per carry. That's true. Why didn't they run more? <laughs> they should have. Uh, Os- they went out and they invested a lot of resources. Lamar Miller, Will Fuller, Braxton Miller. Some offensive line help. And Lamar Miller and Will Fuller have worked out. They added the speed that this team desperately needed. The quarterback is not working out. This was one of the lowest yards per attempt figures in NFL history for a quarterback passing 40, 40 or more times. Mm. And, and Brock Osweiler, he has got a long delivery. He's a little more athletic than you think, but he still moves so slowly in the pocket. And then you look across the other side of the field, Trevor Simeon has a streamlined delivery. He's more of a quick-twitch athlete. He's a much better fit for Gary Kubiak's offense. And you look at a Broncos team that still looks like a contender, has a lot going for them, and then the Texans are spinning in no man's land. They they have a $72 million boondoggle. And it's weird because they're in first place. I think that changes it. They're not a first-place team. You're not what your record says you are. They should be a 2-5 and five team. Their defense is good. It's not great without J.J. Watt. It's good. It's not good enough to carry this team long-term. Maybe they'll be in the mix because they're in the AFC South. But Osweiler, it's hard to really overstate how bad their passing game is. Maybe it's not 100% on Osweiler, but considering it was so much better last year when Hoyer was the quarterback, it's a lot on him. He is the first quarterback. Here's a great stat. Oh, in NFL history to have three games in a single season with 200 yards or less and 40 attempts. This season's not even halfway done. He's already the first quarterback in history to be that inefficient in three separate times. So that's a coaching problem. That's that's terrible. We have to name a new stat after him then. 
That's <laughs> it's a special mark of ineptitude. That's <laughs> the Osweiler. The Osweiler Brock. zone. The Brock you're, schlock. You're brocking it. You just brocked it. You brocked up. Uh, listen. <laughs> he that entire team has as many touchdowns this year as Melvin Gordon. My goodness, that is outrageous! Wow, and I thought it was especially (laughs) telling at the end of the game, and you know, the Denver team, the guys in those defense, wanted to stick it to Osweiler, of uh, course, because they thought that he walked out on him, and and uh, uh, Keeb Talib said as much uh, before the game to Lisa Salters. But I thought that even at the end of the game, where things were decided, where he was still checking it down, and and everything was. Three yards, four yards. If he attempted a down yard, downfield pass, it wasn't even close to the right. target. It was such a depressing uh, uh, a sight, and I did. I wrote about it on the end around today. About three minutes to go, game decided. ESPN dying. You know they're they're sucking wind because again they're stuck with a dog, uh, and they start panning around the the field, the sideline, uh, the owners box, and and John Gruden's shoveling dirt on Osweiler, and you just see. Everyone, I think, of the Texans, and they were showing McNair in the in the box with Rick Smith, the GM. Everyone's aware of what the what the situation here, is, which is, you paid a quarterback Brock Osweiler a ton of money, and he can't play, and that's going to have long term ramifications for this franchise because you he's owed almost forty million guaranteed, so you can't get out of the deal. You're going to have to pay him. Okay, we're going to go and get a quarterback in the draft next year. Well, then you can't pay two quarterbacks and pay other spots on your roster. This was a potential three- to four-year mistake that they made, and it's going to haunt Houston for years to come. Well, I remember when they paraded him out there in the introductory press conference, and Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien say he checks every box. This is basically – never this, met him, by the way. This is our franchise savior. We watched, right. all, we watched all the film. He can make all the throws. And John McClain, the venerable Houston right. Chronicle writer, walks away from that meeting with this tweet. This is the biggest free agent signing in Houston since Warren Moon in 1984 with the Oilers out of the Canadian Football League. Well, <laughs> wow. And this starts upstairs, Greg. They forced – the ownership forced the team's Charles Barkley? Yeah. to find to find a solution at quarterback after Brian Hoyer melted down that playoff game. And this is what happens when you let the people all the way upstairs dictate what happens downstairs. That played a huge role in Osweiler coming to this team, paying all that money sight unseen, and the, this is what they got. They well, got what they paid for. I'm not saying that he's he has no chance to be mediocre for them at some point, but I, I don't think he's going to do it in this current iteration. I think John Gruden was very smart to talk about all the site adjustments that the young receivers have to make and the Osweiler sort of has to know, be on the same page with the receivers. And these are guys that just aren't experienced enough to do that, especially Osweiler. TJ Ward of the Broncos said, we know Osweiler struggles with disguises. We see it on film. We knew that he struggled with it when he was on the Broncos. So that's what we were going to do. That's what the Patriots did. I don't know. They have a young quarterback there, a guy who is real. What? Dan Ham- what? <laughs> That's my Tom name. Tom Savage is real. Again. Tom Savage is real. One more time. Tom Savage is real. And Tom Savage was drafted when Bill O'Brien was the coach. Tom Savage showed some things in the preseason. They're four and three. He said he's not considering benching Brock Osweiler. I think the season's young. I think they're going to be in the AFC South mix. I would not be surprised at all to see Tom Savage playing this year. They can get out of Osweiler's contract after next season. And I, I think there's a way to bench him this year that doesn't mean it's forever necessarily. Maybe you go back to him after a few games. Maybe you go back to him in the offseason. Who knows? They're going to try to win games. If he plays like this, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. This offense is incompetent right now. And if they don't show co- signs of competence by Thanksgiving, they owe it to themselves to see if Tom Savage can be part of the picture for their 2017 I, I really liked him uh, at points in the pre. I thought he showed some things. And, you know, this game, again, highlighted to me, uh, you know, the Broncos are going to be okay. Their, their quarterback can make enough plays. And the defense is great. So they're going to be there at the end. The Patriots are the Patriots. But the the underbelly of this conference, I mean, you, when you're looking at Houston and you see them as one of the better teams, that tells you a lot. I mean, nobody, unless you're the Browns, I don't think anybody's out of this in terms of hunting for that sixth seed. And I include the Jets who we forked because there's just there's just not a lot of talent top to bottom on this in this conference well, right now. The That's AFC true. West is a good division. You know, they went 4-0 this week. I think all those teams have playoff caliber talent. 
And so that that's one loaded division. I think you're right about the rest rest of the conference. It's a flawed conference. The Bengals though. could get it together, absolutely. We we know the AFC South isn't good. We should give the Broncos credit. I, I think they had some things they had to really like in that game. Devontae Booker is emerging as, as a real big factor. C.J. Anderson looked great, too. Right. He so, should just play in primetime, by the way, C.J. Anderson. <laughs> right. He played like that every that, time. That's a really good one-two punch. Emmanuel and Sanders is having a great year. That ran well against a good defense. Emmanuel Sanders has turned into their number one. Aqib Tlaib has been the best cornerback in the NFL right. this year. He, he is having a really good season for them. They're deep, obviously, in terms of the pass rush. I think it was important for Simeon to have a positive game just because it had been a while because he was out it with was an important. injury, and he did. And so, you know, they're they're good. And one last note, one of the worst injuries in a long time. Derek Newton uh, tore both patellar tendons in this game. I don't know what – I don't know how that can happen. I don't know what the recovery is on that. I have some findings on this. Let's hear something because I that was – to see Bad. a guy in a double air cast being taken off the field, obviously he felt for the guy, and it just was a unique sight. It was outrageous. Uh, Wendell Davis. Bears receiver, the first guy I remember who ever did this, and it was the veteran stadium turf in Philadelphia that got him in the early 90s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then in the last five years, uh, Greg Childs, who was a second-round pick for the Vikings, oh, yeah. did that in training and camp. And his career, right? Gary Baxter, who was a really good cornerback for the Ravens, signed with the Browns, and then two years after that, tore both his patellar tendons. And did he ever come back after that? I think he, he attempted did. to, but was, wasn't able to. My question is he, – you feel Physically, bad. how yeah. does it happen? I, the, the I don't know. The mechanics of it, it, it just, I don't know. I have no idea. Mind. And Newton had torn his, one of his patel tendons before, so that, that's a tough road back, it, it said. Uh, all right. That's what's going on with the Monday night game. Let's do some news. One more. I got 69 touchdowns, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do. My favorite part is uh, <laughs> the laugh. The, the laugh. Gronk almost like. What like a muskrat would do that was in human form. Like, <laughs> the laugh made it. He, he's like a bad. He's like a comedian or, or just even a friend who has to explain to you that that was a joke. Yeah. Just in case you didn't get what he, where he was going, he had to let you know. You know oh, what I mean, you know, you yeah. Know? I think he said baby too. I don't know if it was a man or a woman he was talking to, but I'm saying you know what I'm talking about, baby. <laughs> All right, here we go. Start with the retirement of Arian Foster. Uh, surprise went down on Monday night right uh, before the start of the uh, Broncos-Texans game. Arian Foster, uh, who has spent the season in Miami battling injuries once again and really not having an impact, made the decision uh, to end his career. Uh, he finishes that brief Miami career with 55 rushing attempts uh, rushing yards and 22 attempts. Of course, his biggest years came with the Texans where he was – um, arguably the best all-around running back in football uh, for a stretch there from uh, 2009 to, I'd say, 2013 or so. But injuries did mount. Uh, he made the announcement on uh, a website that I'm not really familiar with, uninterrupted.com, uh, but explained that his body simply could not take uh, the beating that is required to succeed in the NFL at this stage. Uh, Arian Foster's career is over. Wes, you wrote up the piece. Uh, on NFL.com. Where does Arian Foster stack up with the best running backs of this millennium? Millennia? He's, he's, Block of millennia? In this millennium, well, he's behind Ladanian Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson. I think he's in that next tier. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but he was, for a five-year stretch, right there behind Adrian Peterson as one of the best running backs in the NFL. I think we'll always remember him for that graceful one-cut style. He is the ideal back for the zone blocking mm. sk- system. So patient, great vision, just make one cut, and so smooth. Also, a great pass catcher earlier in his career. Yeah, he had three years. He had three years where he caught eighty-four balls, seventy-two, and then fifty-eight the following year. After that, you said the word smooth. I mean, that's what I. That's what I'll think of with with Foster, and and I'll think of someone who, for at least three seasons of his career, I would have considered one of the three best runners in the league, right? Which is not – it. that sounds like, okay, a decent amount of people do that. Not really. I mean, no. some, some Hall of Famers you might not even be able to say that about, where he's – Frank one of, Gore. One of the two or three best. Ooh. I don't think Gore's Ouch. probably got to get in there. I would love Bunsen to – burner blowtorch right there. Listen to – No, he's right, though. I would say only no. – Gore, Gore, that's true, only one or two seasons. Listen to his first three playoff games he ever played. This is the greatest running back in Houston Texans history. 153 rushing yards, 132 rushing yards, 140 rushing yards. Mm. That's 
pretty good. His fourth game was 90 rushing yards. He was also one of the best personalities in the league during his time. Uh, one of those guys, just a different thinker, came at life from a different angle. I always enjoyed what I called his lovably ponderous Twitter feed, <laughs> which always had a lot of, from the weird, uh, weird comments about life to just uh, philosophical takes uh, to a love of science. Uh, but he also had, you know, sharp social takes uh, whenever, like when the Colin Kaepernick situation was blowing up with the national anthem. Uh, if you went to Aaron Foster's Twitter feed, you could find some really measured, clear-eyed uh, looks at, at that situation. And Foster is a guy I think will – I don't think this is the last you'll hear from him. I feel like he's the type of guy, whether it's hmm. popping up, uh, I don't know about a studio show, but some, some other realm in entertainment or some other path in life that keeps him in the public eye because I think he's that type of dude. I'm fascinated by free thinkers in the NFL because it's a sport that almost demands conformity. And there's a line of running backs going back to Dwayne Thomas with the Cowboys and even Joe Don Looney, if you want to go back before that. John Riggins, Ricky Williams, Arian Foster is the latest in that line. And he said a few years ago when he was coming out of Tennessee, the reason why he went undrafted is because Tennessee's coaches badmouthed him yep. to NFL scouts and NFL executives because he wouldn't just submit to their authority. I don't know how much blame he bears for that, but he's an interesting guy. And on just a side note, this is the first player who really made me feel old as a fantasy analyst. I remember in my early <laughs> days. the first were, guy, was I In 2009, wow. when he was an undrafted rookie, I stumped for him hard and went to bat for him. And he was, he was out on front on the Foster chain, Wes. Arian Foster was my boy. I remember putting his name in a magazine as a sleeper. Uh, in 2009, I loved I loved seeing him in 2010 summer. There was like, "Yeah, fool, wrestling. You'll never get this one right." See, he's a nobody. See, I was already blocking people on Twitter back then. <laughs> uh, Arian Foster's career over at age 30. Good luck to you. Whatever comes yeah, next. Uh, it's also great, man. He's also a reminder of how quick the NFL changes. He was getting drafted about seven rounds ahead of uh, Jay Ajayi six yeah. weeks ago. Oh yeah. Wow. We, I mean, he was not, <laughs> the Texans were on hard knocks last summer. Which was went, never a good idea to draft him early right. anyways, but it, it just shows how, how quickly it changes. When he hurt his groin last year, whatever the injury was, because he always had an injury as things came toward the end, it was seen as a massive loss for the Texans. Uh, but that's the way it works with that position. Guys fade fast. Let's move on. Talk about an ugly situation uh, for the Giants that they've been dealing with now. Uh, and uh, they finally made the decision. The Giants announced Tuesday that they have released kicker Josh Brown. This is a statement from John Mara, the team president. We believed we did the right thing at every juncture in our relationship with Josh. Our beliefs, our judgments, and our decisions were misguided. We accept that responsibility. He went on to say he hopes he, Josh continues to dedicate himself to rehab and becoming a better person and father, and so on and so forth. Uh, this is a situation where Josh Brown had been uh, connected to domestic violence incidents uh, with his wife. Uh, more and more stuff started to come out, especially last week, that sent things to the next level, which led the uh, Giants uh, and the NFL to put him on the exempt list. Uh, and Giants signed a new kicker and now say goodbye to Josh Brown. Uh, Greg, you were in London for the press conference when this thing took uh, a, a sharp turn uh, against Brown and the Giants, and it was not a, a pretty scene, was it? It was one of the most uncomfortable press conferences I've ever been to. In London. To. It was in London. Usually you would expect it's a lot of, oh, how you know how are you enjoying? You just arrived here. Like Literally, they had gotten off the plane that morning. Bob McAdoo, I thought, handled it poorly. He was coached ben. by Ben McAdoo. How did Bob handle it? I don't know. Well, Is Bob alive? I hope so. We mention his name Question. a lot. Uh it was it was terrible. He seemed unprepared. He just kept saying the same thing that we're looking for more information. And Uber. I and I credit the the New York media for really holding his feet to the fire, pointing out previous statements. And that's why this giant statement feels hollow because they said they they were misguided, but they had a lot of information uh, before the last week, and it's confusing that the path that they took. And they and McAdoo just kind of stood there saying, "We stand behind Josh Brown." It was if you were going to cut him, they should have just cut him. It was him always then. surprising <laughs> in a in a post Ray Rice world when this story first cropped up before the season began. 
Uh, I first time I heard about, oh, I said he's gone. I mean, it's, it's not like this is one of the great kickers of all time, which sometimes, like it or not, that affects whether these guys stick on the team. He's jo- Josh Brown. I mean, so you thought, oh, they'll get rid of him, bring someone else in that's not a headache with this stuff. And instead they stuck by him, which was a curious decision then, and it only got worse, and now they're dealing with the fallout. Such a complex issue. Diana Moskowitz from Deadspin, who used to work on our editor's desk, had a really good column this week pointing out that Cutting players isn't really the answer because their girlfriends and wives rely on them financially so much, and it can also it can often exacerbate the problem at home between the couple when the husband is out of work. So I think the NFL, what people want to see is to get ahead of the issue and not respond to public opinion. Mm. The the problem with this one, most people have in the beginning, was the double standard. Right. Why is Josh Brown getting a pass when other people didn't? Right, and when I'm when I'm picking on McAdoo, it's it's really not his fault. It's the organization putting him in a in a tough spot where he is basically forced to say things in a vague way to avoid telling lies because they, McAdoo's they, not a, he's not uh, built and wired. He's a football coach. He doesn't know how to handle this situation. And, but that's part of the head coach's job in the 21st century. Right. A good head no. coach. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. And and there were just so many moments. I mean, I think. The UK media there is wanting to kind of have a nice press conference, but they just let the New York media basically go go after him. Oh, so score one for New York over London, huh? There you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like how you've taken this personally. I don't know. You know, hey, you you're know, in England. You know, I love you. It's funny. Yeah, it, it's funny. If you want to get Dan really mad, um, just tell him that that you're a, more of a New Yorker than he is. Because I am. You know, I lived there for 10 it's, years. I tell him that. And not, isn't Dan from New York? Well, but, you know, not the city. People I lived that in aren't this... real new people from New York. Greg grew up in a, a rich town uh, That's, off, off the coast ta- of Boston. First of all, this has been uh, proven off the coast. from licking, some Twitter. Sherbet, sherbet in a white suit. This has but been proven like, by Twitter sources that, that your town, much nicer town than the one I grew up in. But that's beside listen, the point. Let me Let me explain. People that aren't actually from New York and then they, they move to the city and, and they slum it in the city for a couple of years and then they could always say, oh, I lived in New York City. But if you're actually from New York, was a you, don't, you don't have to obviously – you don't have to overly identify with the, the city alone. I, okay. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, so it doesn't make me less of a New Yorker because to a, a person from New York, New York is more than just the city. Mm. You're from New York. You grow up Good around point. people that – my parents were born and raised in New York City. That's true. I lived in New York City after I grew up, both in New York and Manhattan and Brooklyn, and uh, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. So don't try to hang that on me, Rosenthal. <laughs> Just because you never took to Martha's Vineyard and you had to go on, you had to start, you know, traveling around the country looking for a place to fit in. I've never actually lived in Martha's Vineyard, but okay, yeah, there you go. And I grew up in a coal town. Yeah, I love New York. You way. should love my love of New York. I love New York a hell of a lot more than Boston. And you know, I know, but that's... this is you're, you're always like I love things more than you. I am this <laughs> thing more than you are. You know what? With the New York thing, let's you know that's the wrong path. Speaking of Twitter sources, streets are talking, and their word around streets the talking word around the campfire is not a coal town. Oh, big time coal town, Pearl River. Not a coal town, from what I big hear. time coal town. That is our major. Industry is that, that the cold town from Gatsby when that's, he's painting the picture? That's how we keep the lights on in Pearl River. Ah. Okay, and I didn't have a dog, a little puppy growing up. Greg grew up on a compound where they had all sorts of exotic animals. A compound in, from Africa and other places. <laughs> I had I had a bird that is we that kept true? at the bottom of the coal shaft. We had we had and had when that cats. bird made a sound, that meant that there was air in that shaft, and that meant dad an in the home. coal mine. Dad was coming home for dinner that night. I don't think your dad was a coal miner. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I don't know. We can... I wish you weren't a liar. <laughs> yes! It's back! I've been waiting for that drop for years. Uh, don't They'll take it away from us, us if you call attention to it. Oh, sorry. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk a little New York. Can I talk about a New York team, Greg? Am I allowed? Am I a New Yorker enough? We're, I, I think it's something we share. I, I've moved past right. now comparing it. Okay. We both love New York. Okay, good. All right. Geno Smith. Uh, the Geno Coaster has broken down for good in New York. Uh, a MRI revealed a torn... ACL, and uh, you know, Wes, just like Joe Namath had to apologize for this, I, I guess I should say, um, you know, for on Sunday night's show, I questioned Geno Smith's level of injury, which you should never do. 
You should you never do. Question the man's testicular, testicular fortitude. I did, it's and I fu- shouldn't have done it. It's funny because even as you were doing it, I, listened, I knew I shouldn't have been. Doing it. I listened to the show. You guys did a great job. I thought it was really fun how you guys had everyone come in, Claybon and Shook and Geller. Kitchen sink show. They all did a great job. It was a fun listen. But as you were doing that, you guys even at the moment were like, "Oh, this could go badly." Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> it did. Yeah, I, I can apologize to Gino Smith. He doesn't give a what I have to say, but I will say uh, Geno Smith did have an ACL tear that ended the season. I think Joe Namath is more defensible what he did than I did because Joe, listen, Joe Namath was told when he was 26 years old that by the time he was 40, he would have the knees of a 90-year-old man, and he would tape up from ankle to hip his leg just to get on the field. So from Joe's perspective, a guy that had, and Wes, as you know, the injury suffered in Alabama, a knee injury that would end a lot of people's career. They thought he basically had a five-year window to play. People never saw the real Joe Namath who played at Alabama, who did 360 dunks and was viewed as one of the most dynamic athletes in college football history. Fast as hell. You know? Yes. And so Joe sees a guy standing on the sideline, and he's like, what's he not doing on the field? Because Joe would have been playing probably. The old Zeus probably has less reason <laughs> to be calling out anybody for knee issues, although I did uh, sprain my knee. Uh, as a varsity basketball uh, athlete. <laughs> Did you play through that? I play, well, I sat out a few weeks, and then I came <laughs> back. Uh, didn't get a lot of PT, but all right. So the Geno Coaster broke down, torn ACL, uh, which did a couple of things. It, it, it relieved a really awkward situation brewing with the Jets uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, who came out after the game on Sunday and basically said, nobody believes in me from ownership to the front office, which, um, you know, I don't. I can't really condone. I was surprised to hear Fitz say that. It also kills Geno Smith, who was trying to reestablish his value a little bit heading into free agency. Uh, but now we got Fitzpatrick under center. I would think until the Jets fall out of playoff contention, uh, which and listen, boys, we forked the Jets. I get it. Not going to fight that. But if you look at their schedule. <laughs> Doesn't, I'm just saying. Doesn't don't, take don't do Dan, this to yourself. Doesn't take Dan much to get back in. I, uh, I saw you on Twitter throw this out there, and someone was like, "Oh, good to have you back in," or whatever. You're like, "Who said I'm back in?" You said in that tweet, "You're back in." I'm you know, you make this case, you're in. That's I'm just fine. saying they're two and five, at Cleveland, at Miami, home to Rams, bye week, in an awful watered down AFC. It is not insane to think the Jets can get to five and five at their bye week. That's all. Now, I think the Dolphins are a much better team than the Jets right now. Right now, maybe you're right. Yeah, but doesn't mean that they can't beat them. I'd look. You're at, back in. I'd look at those three. I'm games. always in. I'm just not uh, like I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die if they lose next week in Cleveland because I you're hanging around the that. periphery like a pervert. I'm always wait. Slow down, there. <laughs> pervert. Well, yeah, but the Dolphins and Rams are looking at the Jets and thinking, well, that team's not better than us. Too. It's a, yeah, yes, it's not crazy to just imagine saying. the Jets winning, but you got to win all insane. of them. Uh, yes, and that would be a four-game winning streak for a game that for a team that is flawed deeply. Well, they got say. lucky. Little throne of uh, throne of ease in New York that you might get to face Kevin Hogan this week because I probably would have thought that the Browns might finally get off the Schneid uh, if mm. they had old a lot of people Cody Kessler that. slinging the rock. Josh McCown is maybe in the picture though this week. Yeah, both Kessler and McCown have a, a chance, but it sounds like it's Kevin Hogan. Anyway, and then Todd Bowles, and we'll move on now. Todd Bowles did have a nice little retort when asked about uh, Fitz's uh, comments after Sunday's game because uh, Fitz said, I play better pissed off. Maybe I'll be better that way. And P- Bowles said, if pissed off is going to stop the turnovers, I'm more than happy to have it pissed <laughs> off the whole time, he told conf- uh, reporters during conference call. Well done, Todd. I, I listened Come to on. Ryan Fitzpatrick. I was surprised he took any gr- grief for his comments. He was stating the obvious. Of course they lost faith in him. They just benched him for Geno Smith, someone they – did not want to start. And it kind of reminded me of sometimes when we're taking on the shadowy league figures in here, we don't take it too well. We get a little angry. Maybe that helps us. And Eric Decker uh, intimated uh, this week also that Fitz took a lot of frustration potentially out of that contract situation into the season. So it kind of all bubbled Mm. over after that game. So that's what's going on. Uh, The Jets' uh, wheel of misfortune at quarterback. Let's move on. By the way, Ty Montgomery, still, we don't know if he has RB status in fantasy leagues yet. Little update, breaking news. What was your tweet on this? Well, it's being treated with the seriousness <laughs> of the Cuban Missile Crisis <laughs> I love on that. Twitter. I love that yeah, tweet. That, like, everybody calm down. That was a, a perfect bit. tweet. I totally <laughs> agree. I felt a little bad about it because I was tweeting off 
Alex Gelhar, who we love, who helped out on Sunday, something he wrote in a very uh, a tone, a solemn tone. It was talking solemn. about the the situation, uh, but it's not just the Gelhar thing. It is the entire fantasy community. Oh yeah, I saw paralyzed uh, over this situation. Well, people are coming down strong on both sides of the fence <laughs> on this one. Right, I saw not to you know name names, but I saw. I saw, you know, other sites they were going to have like an at-length discussion of pros and cons <laughs> around table of not discussion. like they were wanted to hear what the fans think. They wanted to explain that their their decision. Here's what blew my mind. I see the Roto World headline, big huge headline come across Twitter. Ty Montgomery now a running back. And I went to click the link expecting Mike McCarthy to say Ty Montgomery has been switched to a running back and he's now in the running back meeting rooms. No, it was just Matthew Barry saying that ESPN granted him Ooh. running back eligibility. Well, that's big. I didn't know that. That's huge, though, dog. That's huge. All right. It's going to the Supreme Court. That's going, it's going all the <laughs> way to the top. That's what's happening in the news. Uh, Greg, let's just, uh, yeah, let's pause one more uh, uh, second here, and we want to hear about uh, the London trip. And I guess the first thing where I want to start was the tweet-up, mm. which I challenged you on this podcast. Uh, even a sandwich wager, even, which I can certainly um, uh, facilitate uh, for you at some point. <laughs> I said, there's no way you're going to do it. You're not going to meet up with the fans because that's not a Greg thing. You're not a what? guy that hangs out in taverns uh, sucking down brews with the people. You make it sound like I'm antisocial. No, eh. I mean, not antisocial. Okay, maybe that's somewhat true. Not antisocial, but, uh, you know, maybe weren't, weren't Meeting strangers be- isn't your idea of a good Saturday. Well, night. it's not so much that. I am genuinely uncomfortable with that many people who like me. I, I'm uh, used to people. I, I, I I'm used to that. people not liking me <laughs> or whatever. You know, at least they're in the middle. That Rosenthal moves the needle. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I It's It's... You know, you know what I'm saying. I do, I do. When we met up, when we did the tweet up in San Francisco, it was me- it was great meeting all the fans. Uh, uh, but it was for me a little overwhelming as well. So many. I people. loved every minute of it. <laughs> you did, and I think you were able to handle it. Yeah, uh, you don't a- have the deep self hatred that I do. Well, right? that, really, those are my kind of people. Well, see, now you're positioning it as like you're this hero <laughs> every man. All right, Wes, you, we'll give it to you if you want it. But it it's not really about that. It's just about the I- idea of. A lot of people all kind of right. looking at it. Well, and I'm not much of a planner either, and it kind of came into – I'm there by myself. If one of you guys was with me, it would have been a no-brainer. Hey, let's do this. Here we go. You know, hey, I'm going to set up a place. Here's the time, the place. I'm going to plan it. I haven't planned, like, anything in years, period, uh, uh, social engagement. Hey, here, here's the place you can come, come you know, be nice to me. See, oh, here's, the, here's the thing. We send our boy overseas. <laughs> we send our heroes overseas, our best soldiers. <laughs> Come on back, Greg. Come back to America, see? We're proud of you. Here's why you were in a win-win situation, though. You, I think this is the way it went down. Everybody everybody was pretty much lost hope. All of our British fans, like, this Greg is not going to meet with us. It's late in the day. At the last minute, you just throw out a name of a place, and you're guaranteed to get at least a dozen people who just want to meet you and hang out. Well, it, it was cool. I was out with... Um, some of the UK media who covers uh, the NFL. Humble Breck. Um, Will Gavin, Paolo. Gavbomb. Our producer. Uh, Paolo Rogger. Ollie Hunter, who does this Talk Sport 2 podcast and radio show people should listen to yeah. that I do a spot on every week. And so I was out with them kind of hearing what it's like to be covering the NFL in the UK. I met up with them, had some drinks, had some dinner, and I told them about the meetup possibility. They really encouraged me, put it over the top. But okay. Wes, Wes really did it, uh, showing, you know, Wes convinced some people, you know, they were wearing the, the podcast jersey. There was a podcast hoodie. Yes. Someone sent a picture of that, and then you know that really put it over the top. We got we to meet up, so I sent a tweet out, and uh, we went over to the bar, and, and 20 minutes later, you know, about 10 people showed up. There you great. go. And it's important. I'm, I'm really happy you did do the meetup, Greg, because uh, in studies of the metrics of this show, 16% of the entire audience of the Around the NFL podcast is from the United Kingdom, which is really an outrageous number when you think about it. And we couldn't that's, be... By the way, that's double more than any U.S. state. Mm. Yeah, we could, not, we could not be any more grateful for everyone that listens. And uh, so was, if you wouldn't have not had any type of tweet up, that would have been, you know... You know, in hindsight... Would have been a bad look if I, if, In hindsight, if I could do it all again, I would have just done it three hours before the game 
at the stadium because mm. I would have had I had time then and I sort of naturally had it anyways. I'm mm. walking to the game, unbelievable atmosphere where you had to walk about a half a mile from the train to the stadium and it was just sort of how you imagine a downtown like old baseball stadium would be in in a US city except this is kind of out in the out in the country and there's just great food lining the streets and there's thousands of NFL fans just walking toward the stadium it was almost like a a congregation and it's cool that no one it's cool that it's not a home game because it's everyone there just kind of celebrating the fact that they love football you know it's all sorts of jerseys the mood is great and in that walk alone to the stadium, I must have met 10, 10 different people who just came up to me. And, That's and, awesome. And, you know, there was, there was a, uh, a lovely listener from Belgium named Betty. Uh, Betty who, from Belgium. Betty from Belgium, who was then was living in, in wow. London. Uh, you know, there was lots of fans, and they came up, and they all had different stories. That, that would have been the time to do it. They all had different stories. They all loved the podcast for different reasons. They all came to the NFL for strange reasons or like teams for, you know, totally bizarre, you know, some team that's like, I like the Packers because my favorite soccer team was green and gold. And so that's just what I picked. Hmm. Stuff like that. I like the shots of the crowd during the game. And I know it was a big Giants crowd, but you would see in one panoramic shot, 20 different football jerseys from 20 different teams. I thought that was so cool. It, it was, it was, that was cool. And it, Reminded me, I wonder if this is what it was like to like the NFL back in the 50s and 60s. I think you're right about mm. that. Because you hear like Hunter S. Thompson writing about like going to Kazar Stadium in San Francisco during the 60s, where it's just people who love the sport before the rest of America catches on to it. And it's not even really about the team. It's about liking something that the rest of the people in your country have not gotten onto yet. Right, and it and it's gotten past being like a, a total niche sport. I mean, it's on TV all day Sunday. They can pack these stadiums. It's it's grown a lot in the last five years, but it's still at the point where, if you're a fan there, you got to be a real fan. Would you stay up to one thirty in the morning to watch a random Packers Bears game? Because a lot of those fans are. It, it you know. I think I would. Yeah, maybe you, if it was if that's all that was available. Right. To me, yeah. Maybe you would. Um, but you know, stay up to watch the games. You know, they. I think that's why the podcast has been popular. There hasn't been a lot of options for them to follow. Oh, them. don't say that. <laughs> Not <laughs> an option issue. It's well, I mean, quality. I mean, especially back in the oh. day, especially in the off season, a lot of people said you know three times a week. It's like we we get nothing in the off season. Well, it's great, and 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 they really liked. That we, you know, on TV there, a lot of it's just X and as X's and O's analysis. They like the narratives, they like the stories, the ups and downs, and and all that stuff. And they and they really like that we covered that. Right, I guess, and it's interesting because that's those type of narratives that the U- United States sports fan takes for granted because it's always being pounded upon us uh, from all angles because the sport is so huge. It's different out there, and it does remind me also of like how the Premier League has really grown in popularity in the last 10 years, I'd say, in the United States, where it has those niche, very loyal fan bases. They get to the bars super early. Uh, mm-hmm. and Good point. It's I think it's very similar to what's going on in the U.K. I totally agree. I got that feel there, and I think it might be around the same level of popularity because Premier League does really well in ratings uh, here on a relative scale, where it's it's now at the point where it's more popular than – than some sports that used to be big, like tennis or. So, horse, are you horse. calling these British fans sports hipsters? No, not at all. They just they <laughs> just love they love the sport. They some of them really talked. To, you know, I talked to a couple that they thought it's run much better, which is interesting because the American audience is very cynical about how the NFL yes. is run. But they they're comparing it to to soccer. And they said, which is crooked in a lot of ways. There are never any changes in soccer. Good luck ever trying to change a rule. Good, even the idea of an owners' meeting to them was progressive. That's something the NFL has always had an edge on in other sports. I'd like to see better rule changes in the next few years than we've had in the past few years. Mm. And it, yeah, it was cool. It, throughout the game, after the game, people coming coming up. Uh, London's great too, by the way. Just got to give a shout out. I, I mean, I guess we did. I got to get to said. London. I got to. If the NFL doesn't send me, I I will go to London myself. I'll take the family at some point or the wife. And um, and one last note. So you know, Connor and and Mark went last year. Greg went this year. Wes and I would love to go at some point. We really will continue to fight to get the whole podcast. Uh, to London, uh, one of the and it is an uphill battle in this building. We've been pretty upfront about that. 
Uh, but that, I think, in terms of what are the goals of the Around the NFL podcast, how we, where we want to take this thing, the four of us uh, being in London for a show and meeting everybody and doing something big there remains right near the top of the list. We're not going to give up. We're going to do that, and we're also going to do – we're going to get the Huckapoos and Tybee Island for the Atlanta Super That's Bowl. also on the list. That's on the list. <laughs> That's also on the list. All right, uh, let's move on. I'll talk a little trade deadline, which, yes, is – Next week, next Tuesday, so in exactly one week, uh, the deadline passes. The you know, the NFL trade deadline things will happen occasionally. What is the most famous trade deadline deal of the last ten years, fifteen years? Can we even think of one off the top of our head, which might explain Percy Harvin? Is there yep. better better ones? Which than didn't that? lead to anything for either side. I mean, there's in season trades like Trent Richardson. Uh, but I mean, but that on the deadline, that deadline. Uh, that's one thing that's always been a lot of fun about being a baseball fan is right on the deadline. You could always expect things to go down involving big names. And the NFL, not so much. But mm. I, I thought of one, and it was a guy that I saw bizarrely. Oh, no, it must have been the other one. Multiple jerseys at the game. Roy Williams to the Cowboys. But now I realize people were wearing the Roy Williams safety. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the former Lions wide yes. traded to the Cowboys. That's wow. one good Huge trade bust. one. Yeah, that's a good one. Big deal, big deal there. <laughs> that did not work out, yeah. Anyway, so there are some names being floated out there, and we'll see if any of them move. I'm going to go with the odds and say none of them, but some of these names, Torrey Smith. Yes, what? Uh, that another one, Carson Palmer. There was one. Now that's a good one. That's that one. Trade? I don't know if that was a deadline exactly, but that was. I believe Hugh Jackson trumpeted that trade at the time as the greatest trade in football. Well, it didn't work out for Oakland, but uh, it was a monster trade. Anyway, so, yes, Torrey Smith, uh, San Francisco 49ers wide receiver, stuck in purgatory there. Uh, there have been some rumors connected to him. Alshon Jeffrey, who the Bears are obviously in a rebuilding mode. Is Jeffrey going to be a guy that they build around or move? We've heard some things about him. And then uh, Joe Thomas in Cleveland. This is an annual thing now with Joe Thomas because the Browns are annually rebuilding. Uh, will they trade away a top tier or is he still a top tier guy at this point? I don't know. But a, a, a very good left tackle to a contender seems like it would help both sides. But we'll see if it happens this year. Cleveland says no, it's not happening. Joe Staley also being bandied about. as Five-time Pro Bowler Joe Staley who may be better than Joe Thomas at this stage of their respective careers. And they play Little Joe on Joe heat right there. Well, they play a position where half of the contenders need help. Right. So to me, that's where I'm looking for next week in terms of the most likely things to happen. Staley really makes a lot of, a lot of sense. If you're the 49ers, you probably are thinking though, we don't, we only have a couple good players. Do we, <laughs> do we want to trade one away? 32 years old. Will he be a part of the next good 49ers team? I don't. It depends. They're looking reportedly for a first-round pick in exchange for him. Will there ever be another good 49ers team? It's a good question. Say, good question. And you could say the same thing about Joe Thomas, who is going to be 32 in December. Mm. And, you know, when I tweeted, I did a kind of a quote retweet of an ATN article from yesterday where the Browns were not trading Joe Thomas. I wrote, why not? And then Connor Orr, who, as we know, is a Browns fan, Wrote because for whoever you get at quarterback, you need that guy not to be terrified about what's happening on his yeah. blind side. But again, 32 years old. By the time that next quarterback and that and this next nucleus that uh, Hugh Jackson and Sashi are trying to build is Joe Thomas going to be good anymore? He's probably got a, he's probably got one or two years left as a, a lineman that you could count on on the left now, side. Does he even want to leave Cleveland? Last year, he was all but traded to the Broncos. The two teams agreed on a deal, and Joe Thomas said, "I don't want to go." Well, I don't. I don't know. Let's. I think if the if the situation came up, or can we throw out a? Can I throw out a trade? Yeah, throw something out. All right. Because Joe. And then we'll throw you out of here if it's bad. How about that? Wow. I mean, if Joe <laughs> Thomas. That was over time. Sorry, Greg. We hear we're hearing reports that Joe Thomas could you know be available for a second round pick, and people are acting like, oh, that's so much for Joe Thomas. Are you, you always act like? Are you kidding me? Who says no? Seattle Seahawks send a second round pick. Over to Cleveland for Jolton, Joe Thomas. You have a, <laughs> you have a champion. <laughs> There's nothing jolting about it. He jolts you with his arms. All right, all right. Uh, a true New Yorker would not connect. <laughs> that's Joe true. DiMaggio oh, La Raville, yeah. magnifico. <laughs> magnifico. Uh, it's great. I'm standing over here. <laughs> it's Greg in New York. I'm walking here. Hey, give me a pizza. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't. I was out getting a slice. Uh, 
the Seahawks have a window here. They're they're one of the best teams of the last twenty years, and they're in that. They're in smack in the middle. Joe Thomas going to give you at the very worst capable left tackle play for another couple years to help protect Russell Wilson. It's this is a bold franchise. Take advantage of that window on this lousy offensive line. The Seahawks have shown that they're not afraid to move early round draft picks in exchange for veterans. And the way they sign undrafted free agents as rookies and their success with that, why not use that success to part with a second round pick? You know you can just replace them with guys that you picked up off the heap. You keep drafting guys in for the offensive line first, second round, and some work. Most of them don't. Why not use it on a guy you know? Well, what about the basic mechanics of playing the position? I don't, I don't know, know it. Maybe you guys could shed some light. Can, if you trade for a Joe Staley or a Joe Thomas, can you just plug them in as your left tackle and not have to worry about anything? Is it that simple? It's a fair question. I mean, they're known as one of the great zone blocking schemes in the NFL, and Hugh Jackson does not have a zone blocking scheme. Tom Cable, also known as one one of the best O-line coaches in the NFL. A guy like Joe Thomas, after 10 years in the league, how much does he need coaching? He seems like a natural to me. That's a good one, Greg. I think, yeah, you got to see, just like... I mean, pot- potentially the Browns say no, but the report the reports out there is that they that they seem pretty open to it, despite what Hugh said. I don't like the idea when you have like a once-in-a-generation type talent at quarterback or one of the best guys in the league. You don't give away a year to the prime, their prime. Seattle could be doing that if they don't get this guy some help, Russell Wilson, just like they did in Carolina with the blowing up that secondary. It looks like they're going to kick away a year of Cam Newton's prime. Go for it when you have these guys. Uh, I'll throw one out there. Actually, see – I wanted just, to come up with a different one. Just throw it, throw it out. I'll throw it out there because this guy, there's a lot. There's a big question mark around him now. Uh, but I'll say it anyway because maybe there's more behind the scenes in Kansas City uh, that we don't know, and it's beyond just whether his health is right. But let's say Jamal Charles' knees are okay, and it's more some something's cooking right, right now with Andy Reid and management and Jamal Charles, and that helps to explain partly why Spencer Ware is the unquestioned dude back there right now. And then I look at a team like the New York Giants, all right? So a team that's offense is almost being held hostage a little bit right now by their inability to get a running game going at, at all. And I know they have offensive line problems as well. But I think if you can get something to get that offense uh, a little shot in the arm mm. uh, with, that, with those wide receivers and that quarterback, maybe a Jamal Charles to the New York Giants – Taking a risk. Again, Eli Manning, 35 years old. Don't have a lot of time left with, with him. Throw the dice. Second round pick. Ooh. Jamal Charles has one more year left on his deal. It's manageable. $3.75 million with some other uh, bonuses tied to it, but not an astronomical number. Who says no? Well, the Giants, because the price is too high. With the uncertainty in terms of the injury... A protected no, I know. second round pick. It's a third round pick unless he rushes I, for a thousand yards. I think you're onto something here. It's not five hundred yards by the end of the season. It's not crazy, and I and I do wonder if the Chiefs feel like the situation is a little uncomfortable because he's an all time great and on some level they are benching him. I know he's not a hundred percent healthy, but he also said two weeks ago he is a hundred percent and he played as a backup in that game and then he seemed like maybe he had a setback in the Raiders game. I, I don't think it's crazy to imagine them trading. I don't think it would cost that much to do it. And I think the Giants could find some running back out there. I think you're on to something because they need a running back badly. And maybe they can find one out there for a fourth or a fifth round pick. I don't think the Giants are good enough to make that trade. What do you mean? I, I think that's a trade a contender makes. Well, they're four and three. They're not good enough. Did you watch that game against the Rams? Eli was terrible. I, I, I just don't... You're not going to make that trade when you're already mortgaging your future all right. with all these huge you know, salaries. I agree with you that they're not good, but they have a really good defense. They probably think they're good. They have e- Eli and Odell and Shepard. They probably they're think all, they're better than that. They're four and three. From an organization standpoint, they also – and they have every right to do so. Look at their team and be like, if we could just get in the playoffs – Maybe we get on another hot run and we do it again. Just like the other two years, they won a Super Bowl. Nobody thought they were going to do that. I mean, maybe they just think if they can get there, magic happens once again. Maybe Joe Staley is a much better target for them than Jamal Charles. Mm. Yeah. You got a first-round pick playing at left tackle. It's a little complicated. Should have been a right tackle to begin with. You got one, Wes? You want to throw something that, That's one there? right there, by the way. 
A little Joe Staley too, yeah. NYG. Well, it just kind of make it does make some sense. They they have potential to have a top five defense. I know they're not there yet, but they 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 have a top five secondary. That's for sure. I'm not going to go with who says no, but who? Where's the better landing spot? Hypothetically, the Cowboys make Tony Romo available. <laughs> now you're cooking with Kiba. Stay in, stay in Texas with Houston, who has a window to win that division right now, and they know they might not admit it, but they know deep down <laughs> that Brock Osweiler is a seventy-two million dollar boondoggle. That was a mistake of epic proportions. <laughs> or Dan's New York Jets. <laughs> Tony Romo to the Jets. You know, I don't think the Jets make I, – I, I fear that the ownership, Woody Johnson, who loves that kind of stuff, would make the move. But I think one thing I have learned from the last two months of football is that the Jets weren't as close as they realized. So I don't think Tony Romo was a, a missing piece guy. I would have thought this a month ago, but now I kind of see more clearly, and I think the Jets see that as well, especially with Eric Decker mm. out of the picture. So I don't think the Jets are a good option. Houston, the only problem is, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, you're paying Brock Osweiler a ton of money. Even if you can get out of it next year, it's $37 million guaranteed. Tony Romo gets paid a ton of money. How do you afford that yeah. both guys in your roster? Yeah, it's it's a flight of fight. logically he, he's tough to trade because it's going to hurt the Cowboys and it's going to hurt whoever you could go to. I could see him maybe replacing uh, old Jay Cutler maybe in Chicago next year. Yeah, he is an Eastern Illinois guy, right? Mm. I don't think. Also, I don't think Jarrah wants to send if he's going to send Tony out of town. He doesn't want to send him to the other Texas team where it could potentially come back to bite him. That's true. Sneaky, sneaky rivalry there between Texans fans. Even if there isn't, you know, Jerry doesn't like that. What about uh? All right, I'm gonna throw one out here. All right, who says no? Alshon Jeffrey, probably maybe not gonna be back with the Bears next year. Anyways, oh, he wants goes to a team. You got to be a little desperate right now to to trade for Alshon. I think he's a good player. You got to be a little desperate. And who's more desperate than Rex Ryan? And a GM in front office that doesn't know if they're going to be around next year. They got a winning record. They got enough to believe they could just be good enough, but they got no one at wide receiver. Let's send him for a second round pick. Who says no? You know, if Rex uh, tells Willie to do it, it will happen. And wouldn't it improve their team dramatically? They could really use it, Alshon Jeffrey. I guess that's obvious. A little think, Tyrod Taylor deep ball. I think the Bills say no. What? Or what's the terms of the deal? I said second round pick. Second round pick. I think Maybe he could do it no. for a third. I don't, they traded Martellus Bennett for a fifth or something. I think he goes to waste in Buffalo. What? They want to run the ball every down there. Well, you, but you can't you you can't have championship aspirations with Robert Woods as your number one. They can't have championship aspirations. Period. That's not. I mean, I just don't think the Bills are a championship team. Why? Uh, why pay a second round pick for a guy who's going to give you a chance to get a wild card berth? I don't know. Well, when when jobs are on the line, that's when desperate type of trades happen. And uh, to me, that's the Bills right now. They're kind of a playoff or bust team. So you, you might say, "What's a wild card spot going to do?" But it might get Rex Ryan. Isn't uh, it, a three-year contract? Isn't it time for the Bills to stop making overly emotional decisions and be prisoners of stop being prisoners of the moment, like they did with Lashawn McCoy, who was dragging his leg on the first the first play of the Bills' offense last stupid, week? Stupid, stupid, stupid! It was a bad idea to put him out there. It was an overly emotional decision, and many coaches in the NFL don't make that decision. Alshon Jeffrey doesn't want to go to Buffalo either. So are you going to be able to retain him at the end of the year? Nobody wants to play in Western New York, although it's was, a perfectly nice area. That's uh, they pay him the they pay him the right money. They give him the right. They're going to pay him and Sammy Watkins. They pay him the right offer before he On ever a gets the free agency. Alshon Jeffrey, not for nothing, and we say Sammy Watkins is cheap right now. He won't be cheap in a minute. Jeffrey not playing well this year either, but you could say the quarterback. But I, I, I Brian Hoyer has been was putting up actually pretty good numbers when he was in the lineup, but him and Jeffrey were not getting on the same page. I don't know if you send Alshon Jeffrey to play with Tyrod Taylor on the fly if he even makes an impact. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Tyrod Taylor couldn't find Sammy Watkins enough to satisfy the Bills' front office. Is he going to find Alshon Jeffrey enough? Tyrod Taylor's got a pretty deep ball. He does, and Tyrod Taylor's playing well, but finding number one receivers might not be his forte. It was, it was a good one, Greg. It was good. It was juicy. It was I juicy. think I think it's it makes sense. Bills, come at come with me. <laughs> do it and make me look smart. They need to stop doing it. Wes is right though. They seem they would do a trade like this and this stuff doesn't really seem to work in the NFL when you get all cute. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Anything else? Let's move on. Thursday night football preview. 
AFC South is butt. But, you know, these teams still deserve a primetime stage every once in a while. People this getting... butt thing happened while I was gone? It's yes. building a little bit. Yeah, I listened it's to building. the Sunday show, Yeah, and it felt like a callback. I did not listen to the Thursday show. Okay. Uh, Thank you for your support. Well, yeah, it was born on a Thursday show. Um, <laughs> anyway, the Jaguars and Titans, both teams coming off uh, losses. The Jaguars got spanked. I mean, just, I mean – we know the Raiders can't defend anybody. And when you are in your building and you can't move the football and, and your quarterback's a, a mess like Blake Bortles is right now, you, you start to lose hope. Uh, even Jags lady is losing hope. I just, you know, one thing about Jags lady, though, you don't lie about where you are. It's like if your beach house is. And I was in Miami with my new beach house. Well, it was a couple minutes from the okay. beach. Okay. Then say you're a couple minutes from the beach. Hmm. Well, about, I don't know if you're really the one to be picking on someone for, you know, hometown and location accuracy. Why do you based say on that? this whole coal mining uh, Listen, controversy? That is how our town <laughs> breathes. In a fit of brilliancy, one of our followers tweeted at me that the Jaguars are that lady. They were sold to us as a beach house, but they're actually three minutes from the beach. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's I think brilliant. his name was Eric Deedle. Our preview's done. Yeah, let's. <laughs> we're giving Sessler two more days to get back. If not, get that guy in the chair. Yeah, joining the podcast. Uh, anyway, so now the the Jaguars travel to Nashville to face the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Wes, uh, a battle of two teams uh, that thought they had quarterbacks that were going to anchor their season, but instead, both those quarterbacks are struggling and the teams falling behind. Yeah, I know. I've been pounding on Bortles' mechanics, and they got worse. I think they were worse against the Raiders and they've been all year. And I know they have running game issues and I know his decision-making is part of the problem. He doesn't read the field well, but there are screen grabs of him dialing back to pass and his arm, the ball is pointed toward the ground. This is what's going on with his motion right now. It's taking him back down here before he goes up and defensive linemen are batting down balls. Receivers aren't getting to balls because it takes so long for him to wind up and throw. And what shocks me is that the Jaguars coaches are not addressing this I was going to say, if you can see it, if people on Twitter are seeing it, and the play is obviously through the floor right now, are we reading anything out of Jacksonville that they're trying to fix his mechanics? Nothing. I, what is going on with Blake Bortles? State reporters are asking the questions, and Gus Bradley is not answering with any kind of answers about the mechanics of his quarterback. Well, they, they thought they were good. At, on offense, they didn't really change much. They added Chris Ivory. They thought this is an explosive offense. I'm. I think they're flummoxed. I'm flummoxed. I I loved watching Blake Bortles last year. He he is a a big loss for me in terms of believing what I see because he made more wow plays per game than any quarterback in the league. Well, I, I feel like there was only one person in the podcast studio that was saying, "Let's hold off on Blake Bortles." It's fair. You remember that the old suit. <laughs> <laughs> the old Zeuser. We have a get you Dan Hansis spider well, chance, Sydney. Hold on. A second. <laughs> hold on. Oh I don't get many victories like this. Please. Oh, my God. Mark would be going. But you would be right bringing now. it up. You're the only one that would bring it up. Here it is. <laughs> Sydney, sweat bullets. <laughs> and here it is. Yes. Get you Dan Hansis. Listen. I don't have a ton of victories in this realm, so you guys just got to, you know. It's, it's crazy. Allen Robinson is 71st in the league in receiving yards right now. By the way, he's not playing well either. He's dropping balls left and right. He, here's some players with more receiving yards than him. Hunter Henry, Adam Thielen, Jeremy Curley. Marquise Lee. Tevin Coleman. Uh, I think Lee. I think you're right. Lee, Lee does have more. Hearns does too. So the albino tiger has more <laughs> yards than Allen Robinson. It, it's crazy, and their defense, which has made strides, it's better. It's a little more frisky. Dead last in the league in turnovers, it, turnovers forced, and that's what those Seattle Gus Bradley types of defenses harp on. So that's really not working. What's working for them? Nothing. I think they're lucky to be 2-4. and four. I think the Titans are going to win this game. The Titans have an offensive line. The Titans have Delaney Walker. The Titans have a pass rush. They're not a great team, but I think they're, they're in the mix to be interesting. They're, I think the Jaguars could easily be 0-6. If you look at their two wins, they did not play 
particularly well offensively in either one of those games for, for most of those games. Titans play everyone tough. And they beat tough. two bad teams. Titans play everyone tough. They have been within a score on the good side or the bad right. side of every game in the fourth quarter this year. I find them fun to watch because they're a little different. DeMarco Murray is having a great season. Uh, they're you know Like I said, the pass rush – they're they're not a they're not a bad watch. Give it a shot, Danny. All right. I mean, I'll watch a game because I watch the games in prime time, but I won't be happy doing it. Julius Thomas is a bust again. The quarterback's a problem, though. So what do you, what can you say? But, I don't think you can really call any of these receivers bust. It's all boring. How about Chris re- Ivory? So Ivory is not the same explosive guy that you saw with the Jets. I mean, he wasn't even by November of last year, but they had no problem giving him a ton of money anyway. T.J. Yeldon, 3.3 yards per carry. I mean, there are problems. They're not getting to the quarterback. What happened to Saxonville, West? There's, a, you know, all sorts of problems in Jacksonville. That, that, Tune in to watch the Titans then because the Jags are not going anywhere right now. I th- That's I think- the sell. Watch the Titans on Thursday night. Marone, what an issue. Well, man, this Jacksonville schedule is is not bad looking, though. Oh, well, overall. But the team is, so it doesn't the team matter. Is, the team is bad. I, all I was thinking was Gus Bradley, likable guy. He's got these t- – I don't think they'd fire him in the middle of the season. He's got these 10 games, and if uh, things don't turn around drastically, that that's going to be it for him. I, I don't, that's, it's not a surprise. He's done. They just can't do what they did last year, and that's the problem. He's done. Great. I don't like – I. you know, you get really upset about guys getting canned, and we all do. They're all human beings. But if I, if I could lock something in, a lock of the week, I think both <laughs> – that's cruel. Both, both Gus and uh, the man upstairs, his name escapes me right now. David Caldwell. David I don't Caldwell. think he's necessarily done. I th- I could see. I could see if him. they if they go three and thirteen. I think that they're gonna blow things up. But we'll see. Here we go. That's it. That's it for uh, Tuesday's edition of the Around the NFL podcast. We will be back on Thursday, uh, where we will uh, recap the game that we just talked about, AFC South matchup, and then we will preview all of the Week Eight games to come on Sunday. And Monday night, so uh, thank you again to everyone for listening. Greg, good to have you back. It is it is so good to be yeah. back. Stan Hans is signing off for the mailman, the boss, and La Cid behind the glass. Till Thursday. to your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you